and uh, and if so, what does that look like? And so we were over in First Peter, so we just finish up there. Go over and turn over to First Peter chapter two, and we'll we'll continue there <clears throat> and look at a couple of verses there. And of course, uh, Peter was a was a professional sufferer, right? He suffered a lot uh, for the Lord, uh, and uh, and so we've got here. Um, well, let's see. I turned the wrong page there. So in First Peter chapter two. I think we started in verse 20 or so, and um, actually we started way up even before that. Uh, but we got down to, to uh, verse uh, 20, uh, to verse 20, and so I wanted to read that, and then we'll look at some other things here. It says, For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Uh, and so uh, Peter does say sometimes you'll be buffeted for your faults. Well, if you're buffeted for your faults, are you in the will of God? Well, you're obviously not in the will of God. If you're if you're doing things in error, then that's not the will of God. Right. So, um, uh, you know, and I've heard many people say things like, well, I just had to say that. Well, did the Lord tell you to say it or you just felt like, you know, you need to put somebody in their place, you know. And, and so if you just felt like you need to put somebody in their place and then they responded with anger or some other way and exploded, well, now you're suffering, but you kind of brought that on yourself, right? So uh, sometimes we do, or we are buffeted for our faults, right? Uh, we should try to minimize that, amen? <laughs> and so, and really, uh, <clears throat> you know, buffeting, being buffeted for your own faults, if we would, as, as the body of Christ, would learn how to be led by the Spirit of God, we would suffer much, much less because of our own faults. Because every time... We would get ready to say something that was inappropriate or, you know, sometimes uh, people say things to inflame the situation. Right. Uh, They throw uh, gas on the fire, so to speak. And sometimes the Lord would would instruct you, just don't say anything. Right. Don't don't respond. Don't uh, don't argue. Don't defend yourself. You know, for me, I've told you many times the Lord's always told me to not defend myself. So if somebody says something to me that's unkind or whatever. I'll just let it go, right? I don't, re- I don't, I don't correct them. Say I don't do that, you know. I just, if they want to think that I do that, you know, that's fine, right? Uh, and so, I think I told you well, one time somebody left the church, and uh, and part of the reason why they left is because they, they 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 told somebody they didn't tell me. They said, well, I left because you know, uh, uh, Pastor smokes. Pretty sure he's a smoker, right? <laughs> now you know this seemed like to be a pretty easy thing to figure out if that's true or not, right? Uh, just, well, you could just ask me, right? Hey, you know, what's your favorite cigarette? You know, I mean, what, what's your, you know, uh, I mean, besides that, it, is that why you would leave the church? Because I smoke? I mean, I, did you come here because I don't smoke? I mean, is that a thing, right? You know, I need a list of all the churches where pastors don't smoke. Is that, is that how you select a church, you know? Smoking or non-smoking, which one do you want, right? Uh, and, uh, and so, <clears throat> uh, and in case you don't know, I don't smoke, right? And so I never have smoked. In fact, uh, you know, I come from a long line of smokers. You know, we were, my folks smoked the camels, the unfiltered, you know, high octane cigarettes, you know, and, uh, and uh, they all had horrible health. And uh, my, my dad died at 58, age 58 of heart disease. But, you know, smoking a pack of camels a day, I'm sure didn't help them in that situation there. Uh, and so, uh, but, you know, uh, my father is the Lord God in heaven, and so uh, I don't, I'm not going to die from secondhand smoke, right? Uh, and so, um, but um, 
So, uh, so sometimes we can be buffeted for our own faults, and if we would be led by the Spirit of God, we can minimize that, right? I mean, it, it's, it's perfectly fine to live a life without committing faults that would cause you to be buffeted, right? Saying things you ought to say, being somewhere you ought, you ought not be, uh, doing something you ought not do, you know, all those things that, that could cause you to, be, to suffer, you know, you could remove all of those if we would just be led by the Spirit of God in all that we say and do, right? Uh, and that's really, you know, that's a great place to be. Uh, and for me, uh, what I have found is, is the more that I learn in my life how to be led by the Spirit of God, the happier I am because uh, I'm not suffering all of these things that I'll not suffer for. You know, uh, you know, they called me a name, I called them a name, right? <clears throat> and you do to me, I'm going to do to you. Uh, and then you end up suffering and uh, and it just it snowballs and becomes worse and worse. So we're not required to suffer for our own faults, but sometimes we do suffer for our own faults. Uh, Peter said there's no glory in that. But if, but sometimes when you do the will of God, you do suffer. Uh, and we've talked about what kind of suffering do Christians experience. It's only persecution, right? That's the only suffering. The Lord said that if you're in my perfect will, you can still suffer. And that would be only in the area of persecution. Uh, every other suffering that's not uh, due to persecution is outside the will of God. So suffering from uh, physical sickness and disease outside the will of God, suffering from uh, poverty and lack outside the will of God. Right. Uh, uh, and in any other way, it's outside the will of God. Uh, and so. Uh, and, and so if if uh, uh, we would be led by the spirit of God, then we would minimize that. But then he goes on and saying, verse 21 for hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example uh, that you should follow his steps. So then, then he really uh, should, uh, verse 21 really should be the clarification for um, how we're supposed to suffer, right? Because people are going to argue, well, you know, I suffered, I suffered with, you know, some disease, some horrible disease, and I was able to witness to my doctors and nurses, and good came out of it, and so therefore God made me sick so that I could witness to my nurses and doctors, uh, did God make them sick? No, because uh, he said, who is our example of suffering? He said, Christ is, right? The Lord Jesus is our example for suffering. So we've got to go back to his life then and review how did Jesus suffer? How many uh, episodes of cancer did Jesus have that he overcame? How many episodes of brain disease or tuberculosis or, or liver disease or leukemia or whatever did Jesus suffer in for the glory of God? None, right? Uh, how much suffering did Jesus do in, in poverty, right? People say, well, Jesus was poor. Well, you know, I know, I know uh, uh, 2 Corinthians says that, that, uh, that for our sake that he, he was made poor, that we might be made rich. That's true. But, you know, uh, if you, you have to understand, what's the definition of rich? Well, full supply. But in the, in, in the natural world, you know, rich is relative to who's around you, right? And so... You know, in our country, uh, I was reading something the other day. He said that the poverty level in America is like 32 times higher than poverty everywhere else in the world. Well, 32 times higher than everybody else in the world means that that person that's in poverty in America could go anywhere else in the world and take that same income and live like a king, right? Uh, and so, I mean, you go over, I mean, we, we'd go over to uh, Africa and places and, uh, and you go buy lunch and it's like $2, you know, you buy the same lunch here, it's $20. And uh, well, that means you can for one tenth of your income, you could live over there and have the exact same lifestyle. Right. And so uh, so, you know, 
poverty here is only poverty because the wealthy people here are very wealthy. Uh, and so you go over to some other country, well, poverty is a whole different, you know, different, you know, poverty over there is you're living in a garbage dump. You know, we would drive around town and we'd drive by the city dump and there'd be kids playing in the garbage dump. They lived in the garbage dump. They, li- they would get the boxes and, and they would live there, right? And we think that's just, I mean, we can't imagine living that way, right, in our country. But they live, and, and you know, I mean, people, you feel sorry for them. They didn't care. They were having a great time. They'd get on a dirt, uh, on a dirt pile and a cardboard box and slide down that dirt pile and have a blast, right? Nobody told them it was poor, you know. In fact, I didn't know I was poor growing up until somebody told me I was poor, right? I mean, we'd go outside and play all day. And we didn't have stuff, you know. We would just go outside and play and beat each other up and, you know, fall out of trees and, you know, just do crazy things. And, I mean, nobody told me I, I was repressed in my life, you know, until I got older and realized how little I had. But it never, I mean, it didn't scar me because if you don't know, you don't know, right? And so, so, uh, so Jesus is our example, so if he was poor, see, he's poor. Uh, where did he live before he came to the earth? He was in heaven, right? I mean, he's always been, so it's not like he showed up. You know, now all human beings have a beginning, right? Jesus had no beginning, so he came from heaven down to the earth. Human beings did not live anywhere else. You know, there's some mythology that says humans were somewhere before they were on the earth. No, we were nowhere on the, before we came to the earth. God created us in the moment. Uh, and so, so Jesus was in heaven. So what did he leave uh, to come to the earth? I mean, the streets of gold, right? There's nobody on the earth whose driveway is made out of solid gold. I mean, you can go to Bill Gates' house. You can go to Warren Buffett's house. You can go to whatever the telecom uh, CEO is in Mexico. He's one of the richest people in the world. None of them got solid gold driveways, right? Uh, none, I mean, they may have a solid, uh, you know, gold-plated walls, if that, which is unlikely. Now, the temple in Jerusalem had gold-plated walls. Remember that? But uh, and a lot of the utensils were solid gold, but the, the whole temple wasn't made out of solid gold. Uh, and so, uh, you know, in heaven was, was beyond imagination wealthy, right? So everybody on the earth is poor compared to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then besides that, uh, uh, who worked for Jesus when he was on the earth? You know, who was his staff? The 12 disciples, right? What did they all do about their jobs when Jesus showed up? Every one of them left. So now who's responsible for feeding them? I mean, wasn't Peter a fisherman before? Uh, was he a fisherman while he was an apostle? No, he was on the staff of Jesus. Uh, remember when they had to pay taxes? What did Jesus do? Peter, you go down there and throw a, throw a hook in the water and pull up a fish and get the coin out of there, pay our taxes, right? So he paid the ta- Peter's taxes, right? Uh, he did that for his, all of his staff. In fact, uh, what was the job of Judas? He was a bookkeeper, right? A pretty terrible bookkeeper, but he was still the bookkeeper, right? <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, we always say this to remind ourselves, who was the only one who ever complained about money in the Gospels? Judas, Judas right? And so every, you know, anytime somebody complains to me about money in the church, you know, you sound just like Judas, right? <laughs> and so, uh, but, so, so Jesus had a staff of 12, he paid things like their taxes. He fed them. He had to take care of them. And, and he had enough funds coming into the ministry that he had a person designated to handle the funds. Now, if you're poor, how many poor people have an accountant that travels with them everywhere they go? I mean, how many rich people have an accountant that travels with them everywhere they go? You know, very few, right? Uh, and, of course, nowadays we've got phones, I know. But why would Jesus need an accountant, a bookkeeper, if he was poor, 
uh, he wouldn't need that. And so, uh, you know, so it's, 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 you know, people don't really pay any attention to this. You know, Jesus didn't have a bunch of cars and houses and, and airplanes and things like that. But of course, there were no cars and airplanes to have. Right. Uh, and so uh, he was a he was an itinerant minister. He did travel. And so I'm sure he lived frugally. I'm sure he didn't live ostentatiously where he had, you know, air conditioned dog houses and things like that. But um, and, and how you live, none of my business. I could care less what you have and own, you know. Uh, but uh, there, there was no suffering of hunger for Jesus. Right. There was no suffering for lack of. Well, we can't go to. Uh, Galilee today, boys, because, you know, we're out of gas and, and uh, payday's not till tomorrow. Was there, did Jesus ever not go somewhere because of lack of funds? Was he unable to go somewhere because of lack of funds? He went everywhere the Lord told him to go. Uh, and you can't go everywhere the Lord tells you to go unless you've got uh, money. How many times did the disciples, remember John chapter 4? He was there at the woman, with the woman at the well and the disciples went to the city to go do what? To go buy food. Remember that? Well, how are they going to buy food if they don't have any money? So, you know, there's a lot of things like that that uh, uh, people will say that, but it's not true. Uh, and so Jesus didn't suffer lack financially. He didn't suffer lack in those things. Uh, but did Jesus ever suffer at all? Everywhere he went, he suffered. How many times did the Pharisees accuse him of casting out the devil by the devil? You know, you're full of the devil. Uh, uh, and uh, just accuse him of, of all manner of evil, right? You speak for yourself and uh, and so they persecuted him. How many times did they take up stones to, to stone him when he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? Uh, I mean, they tried to stone him many times. Uh, so he did suffer, right? So he's our example. So he suffered. Remember, we read the scripture in, in Hebrews that said that he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Uh, and so, you know, you know, the thing about that is a lot of times people focus on the suffering. You don't need to be focused on suffering. You need to be focusing on the obedience, right? Number one thing that you can do in your life, most important thing you do is learn how to obey. Right? And if you'll do that, regardless of the cost, that's what it means to learn obedience by the things which you suffered. Because uh, if you always do what the Lord says, there's plenty of times when he says, go down there and do that, and there's no suffering involved. Right? I mean, many times Jesus would travel, and, and everything would be fine. Nobody would complain about him. Nobody would confront him. Nobody would argue with him or, or cause him to suffer. He would, it would just be a, a, a joy to serve in the ministry in, in the life of Jesus. There, there's plenty of examples where he wasn't persecuted uh, in, the, in this thing. In fact, the woman at the well, you know, he talked to her the whole time. The disciples left. Uh, he talked to the woman. Uh, then she went and told other friends. They came and listened to Jesus. Everything was fine, right? The disciples came back, said, you know, aren't you hungry? Well, I'm, I'm fine right now. Uh, there was no persecution in that particular event. So there are plenty of times when Jesus would minister and there was no persecution. So, you know, if the Lord tells you to go do something and it's only joy, but that's easy, right? Uh, the Lord, hey, I'm going to give you a million dollars, you know, please take it. Okay, Lord, I'll suffer and I'll take it, right? Nobody suffers when the Lord says, I'm going to give you a million dollars, right? The Lord's never told me that, but, uh, uh, but <clears throat> there are times when the Lord says, I need you to go talk to that person or I need you to go down to, um, to, uh, to your own hometown. Remember, he went to his own hometown in Nazareth uh, there in, in Mark chapter 6. And it said he could there do no mighty works and he marveled at what? Their, Their unbelief. Well, what were they unbelieving about? Him. Yeah. You're just Joseph's son. Who are you? You know, that kind of hurt your feelings if he'd been ministering all this time and, and, and grew up, yeah, as Joseph's son. But, I mean, surely they'd heard of his reputation, that he, that he was operating as a son of, son of God and um, as the Messiah. 
but they didn't believe him. You know, you think that that probably hurt his feelings, right? Uh, if, if he allowed that to ha- hurt his feelings. Uh, and that was, so that was a fairly minor persecution, but still it was suffering, you know, that, uh, that he came to help them and they didn't believe him. Uh, and so, uh, but then plenty of other times the Pharisees would, would confront him, right? The Sadducees, the Herodians, all the different people who were against him would confront him and accuse him of all manner of evil. Uh, you remember when, during the trials, right? Uh, that under trial that they had all kinds of people accusing of things, but they couldn't agree. So they couldn't, they couldn't really charge him with anything because this guy would say one thing, the other guy would say something different. And, and so they were trying to get some consensus. And finally, they, they, they um, took his own words uh, as the reason to show his guilt. But, um, so, uh, but, but when the Lord tells you to do something, and uh, sometimes you know it's going to require suffering, it's in that moment then that you have to make the decision, I'm still going to obey. I'm still going to do what the Lord tells me to do. And that's how you learn obedience, right? Because really before that, it's really agreement. I mean, you know, we're not, we're not trying to split hairs, but, you know, if he just tells you to go and have a happy, wonderful life and no persecution, well, that's easy. You can just do that. And there's no, really, there's no real effort in your part to make a decision. Well, I have to go. I have to go be blessed. Nobody really struggles with that, right? But when he says, I need you to go and do this, uh, but you know it's going to require suffering, you have to decide what you're going to do, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, I told you the time when, when, um, when I was with my pastor that they called a special meeting for the praise and worship team. And I knew by the Spirit of God, the, the Lord showed me. Now, now, sometimes he'll show you things by revelation where it's not really he doesn't speak to you, but you just know it. It's a knowing on the inside of you, right? That's part of the, the and that's really the primary way that the Lord leads us is by revelation, and so I knew in my heart, it was a setup, right? That the, the, I don't know what the purpose of it was, but it was a setup that they were going to uh, be all against me. And, and, you know, so I'm talking to the Lord about it. I said, Lord, you know, because uh, I knew he's a, it's a setup there. I said, Lord, I don't want to go that. He said, I need you to go. That's what he told me. I need you to go. So he knew it was a setup. I knew it was a setup. The people there at the church knew it was a setup. Everybody knew it was a setup, right? Uh, and so sure enough, I got there and uh, they said, well, you know, Chip is a terrible sound man and we want to prove how bad he is. And so they spent 30, 45 minutes proving in their minds how bad of a sound man I was. And it was just it was so carnal and so devilish, you know, because it was. Just, and, and again, did I defend myself? Did I say, well, I don't do that? You know, will you come at They said, well, you know, during the week you come up here and change the soundboard so it can be messed up. So when you come on a Sunday morning that you have to fix it. They would say stuff like that. And isn't that dumb? That's just dumb. It's like, who would do that, right? I mean, number one, somebody who doesn't fear God at all would do that, right? Somebody who has more time in their life to do things like that than I do. And I mean, why don't you just take my key away from me, you know, not so I can't get into the church, you know? But, but they, they would say that, and they would take photographs. They, they put a whole stack of color photographs in the sound booth to show that they've photographed the soundboard so they can prove when I mess it up. And I think, well, that's a waste of time because I don't do that, right? I mean, if I don't do that, then you're never going to have any evidence. And so uh, that's, uh, but sure enough, I mean, the whole thing, you were there, right? The whole thing was a setup, right? How bad of a sound man I was. Uh, and, um, and so I turned it around on them and I said, well, you know, why don't you all show me how you want it done? Well, you know, you just, have and I mean, if they think I'm doing it wrong, well then, you know, so, so, and that's the wisdom of God because when I said that, it made them mad because what they want to say, what, what they are wanting is for me to say, oh, you all right. I know nothing about running sound, which I didn't say. I said, well, you know, why don't y'all show me how you want it run? Well, we're not going to do that. 
well, then why are you complaining about how I run it? You know, y'all are dumb. Every one of you is dumb, right? Uh, and I didn't say that, you know, because that would be suffering uh, from my own faults. But um, I did think all that. Uh, and so, uh, but they didn't messed up. You know, it's just messed up, right? But see, the Lord wanted me to go. Well, why did he want me to go? Well, sometimes you've got to obey. And I suffered the whole time that they were telling me how sorry I was, how terrible of a sound man I was, all this stuff. Uh, and none of it was true. I mean, I wasn't a perfect sound man, but I was a pretty good sound man, you know. I mean, I knew how to run sound. And I mean, I, overall, you know, for years, I was the best sound man they ever had until things got dumb and, and then they decided I couldn't do anything, right? And so, um, uh, and there's a whole, well, I could tell a whole lot of stories about all that, right? But see, the Lord wanted me to go. I knew it was going to be a, a big hairball of a mess. And it was. It was so, I was so embarrassed for all of them. I mean, just all of them, embarrassed for every single last one of them. Uh, because they, they were just beside, you know, you remember, you remember some cases where they would, uh, like when Stephen was preaching, remember they were screaming, but held their hands to their ears and were screaming because they didn't want to hear the words. They, they were insane. They were beside themselves. And it was kind of the same thing. I mean, they weren't running around screaming, but some of them were screaming. They got in my face, screaming in my face, you know. You don't, you don't know nothing about faith. And it's like, well, are we running sound or what here? I mean, this is, we're not raising the dead or anything. You know, it's a knob on the, on the soundboard. But, uh, and so, but I had to go. And part of the reason I had to go was for their benefit. Part of the reason I had to go was for them to see and reflect on how they treated another human being. Now, none of them caught it, right? None of them, none of them understood that what they were doing to me, regardless of if, every, if everything they said was true. You don't treat a fellow Christian or human being the way they treated me. You don't do that. I mean, that's just, it's unkind. It violates every principle that violates the love of God, violates the kindness of God, the goodness of God. Yeah, and, and, uh, but see, sometimes churches get a mob mentality, right? Which means if somebody, especially a leader, does something, a lot of people will, will just, because a lot of people, they don't think for themselves. They just, well, okay, the leader's doing it, so we're going to jump off the cliff with them. And they'll just do that. And the problem with that mentality is we live in the New Testament. You have the Spirit of God in each side of you. And telling the Lord, I was just doing what I was told, will never fly in the New Testament. Because he said, well, they may have told you to do, but I told you not to do that. I told you not to, not to jump on the bandwagon with them. I told you to follow my word. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's just not going to fly with the Lord to, to come up with an excuse for why we do evil things. Uh, but see... Uh, and, and I could tell you, I mean, how many stories like that have I told you, right? And, and time and time again, uh, the Lord would, would want me to do something. And I would, Lord, I don't really want to do that. Because there's suffering involved. I know there's going to be suffering. I don't really want to do that. Now, it's not that I'm being rebellious in the sense of, because rebellious is like, no, I'm not doing it, Lord. I was just expressing my desire. Remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. What were you just saying? Lord, you know, really? If there's a way not to go to the cross, man, that'd be great. Uh, but then, uh, you know, he checks his heart, his spirit man, and the, and the, and the Father God's like, you got to go. And so Jesus is like, okay, I just want to let you know I don't really want to go, but I'm going to, I will willingly and gladly go, right? I'm going to go by choice. I'm not going to go with my feet, uh, you know, dragging my heels. I'm going to go. And so uh, if you want to grow as a Christian, and, and here's, Here's an area where a lot of Christians won't, uh, will never grow up because there are times when the Lord asks you to do something that 
um, you know you're going to suffer or it may be uncomfortable to your flesh. Uh, and in that moment, you have to decide what are you going to do? Uh, and see, that's where you got to learn obedience, right? You've got to learn that I've got a choice here. I have to learn to obey. And um, I know because we have the spirit of God that, that if I make this choice, it's the will of God, but requires suffering. Uh, nobody wants to suffer, right? And what I have found uh, many times is that people will, will avoid suffering for, at all cost. No matter how outside the will of God they get, they will avoid suffering no matter what it takes. Right? They'll, leave, they'll leave their spouse, they'll leave their job, they'll leave their church, they'll leave the Lord, they'll leave everything uh, to avoid even what could uh, possibly be suffering but may not be suffering. There's one fellow that uh, got saved and, uh, and then not long after he got saved, uh, he backslid for decades. And finally he came back to the Lord and was talking to, talking to the Lord about it and said, and he, he said, well, Lord, I, you know, I left, I left you all these years because I was afraid that you would send me to Africa. I mean, why Africa? Why not? You know, are you afraid to send me to, you know, uh, Russia or, you know, Italy or somewhere? You know, I mean, I mean what's he got against Africa? I don't know. But, um, you know, he was afraid the Lord was going to send him to Africa. And he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, you know, I never wanted you to go to Africa. He said, I just wanted you to be willing to go to Africa. So it was never the Lord's plan to send him to Africa, but the Lord, you know, basically our, our uh, relationship with the Lord needs to be, Lord, whatever you want me to do. Because remember what the, what the Bible says about he, uh, Jesus in the book of Hebrews, it said, he said, I came to do what? Thy will. That's it, right? Really simple. I think Jesus didn't come to be the Messiah, to be the perfect Lamb of God, to be uh, the prophet, uh, you know, uh, the Christ. He didn't come to do any of those things. He came to do the will of God and doing the will of God required him to be all those things, of course. Uh, but he didn't come to do those. Uh, you know, that's my job. I, you know, I'm not paid to do anything else. I'm only the Messiah. You know, I'm not here to be a carpenter, Lord. You know, I need to be a, the Messiah. Yeah. But from the time he was zero to the, he was 30, he was a carpenter. Well, I'm, I'm not called to do that. Well, OK, that's maybe true ultimately. But, you know, right now. Before you're actually into the ministry, you got to do those things, right? Uh, and I knew, you know, years ago, I mean, I've known since I was 15 years old, I was called to the ministry. I'm a little slow, you know, I I'm, I'm still feel like I'm catching up in some areas, but, um, but I was a sound man for 20 years with my pastor. And, but the whole time I knew, well, Lord, I'll be, some, you know, someday I'll be in the ministry. And I even talked to one of the associate pastors one time. I said, you know, I'm not going to be running sound forever. Someday I'll be in the ministry. And he looked at me just a straight face and said, I don't see that ever happening. You know, you'll be a sound man forever. And I, and, I, and I didn't say anything. And I thought, okay, this man will never help me get to where I need to be. And I never, I never used him as a resource in my life ever, ever after that point. I never talked to him about, hey, you know, what can I do? How can I study? You know, what, what are things I need to plan on or, or improve upon? This man will never help me get to Because I knew I was going to be there. I didn't know when or, or how. But between then and, and the time I was in the ministry, I would tell the Lord, whatever I'm doing right now, I'll do the very best I can. Because a lot of people are always looking to tomorrow. Well, someday I'm going to be that, so I'm going to do a terrible job of where I am so that when I get to where I need to be, then I won't have wasted all my time learning all that stuff, right? Uh, no, everything you, everything you lay hands to should be done with, with uh, honor and respect for the Lord, right? With excellence. And so so uh, uh, we're going to suffer in the same way that Jesus suffered by being obedient to the Lord. And, and so 
Obedience does not uh, require you to be sick, does not require you to be in poverty. It requires you to just respond and say yes to, for whatever the Lord wants you to do, right? Uh, and so, uh, and, and he goes on in verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, uh, talking about Jesus, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, uh, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So he's not talking about suffering, sickness, and disease. He's talking about suffering and the persecution that he suffered, right? And so what did Jesus, how did Jesus respond? I mean, he's literally the son of God, right? He could have just said zap and you would not exist, right? He could have just sneezed and you would have been off the universe, right? I mean, he could have done anything. And, you know, remember he, he, told, he told the disciples, he said, I could, you know, I could call down six legions of, of angels right now, right? Uh, and just take care of everything, but, um, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to defend myself. Uh, and so, uh, so Jesus, uh, so in his suffering, how did Jesus respond? Uh, he did not revile and he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. And that last phrase, that's the phrase that, that I think if we could get this settled in our hearts, that we commit ourselves to him that judges righteously. And so, um, you know, if we suffer, then we can go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, I did what you asked me to do. And you know, it caused me grief, right? And yet, um, I did what you told me to do. Uh, and, uh, but I'll commit myself to you that you'll take care of it, right? Because sometimes you suffer and it looks like you've lost, right? It looks like that you, that you didn't come out ahead in that circumstance. Uh, and if you're not careful, you will allow that thoughts of, well, I've lost and didn't come out ahead to, uh, cause you to not obey the Lord the next time. Well, Lord, last time I did that, I, I lost out. And how many times have people said, I'm never doing that again? Because it, it cost you, right? It, you suffered for it. Uh, and yet, was it the will of God? You have to determine that for yourself, right? I can't determine whether or not you're in the will of God. You have to determine for yourself. Are you in the will of God? But if you're in the will of God, if you believe 100% you're in the will of God, and yet you still do not come out ahead. Remember, Jesus didn't come ahead when he went to Nazareth, right? I mean, he obviously didn't come ahead on his physical uh, ministry in the earth, right? They, they killed him, right? You know, that looks like, for all intents and purposes, of losing, doesn't it? I mean, when you die, it looks like you've lost. But, you know, we don't have to die like Jesus because he was our substitute, right? So we're not anybody's substitute. Uh, and so, uh, so you have to decide before you ever do anything, you know, Lord, I'm going to commit myself to you. Whatever you want me to do, no matter the cost, no matter what people think of me. Uh, and, and, you know, for me personally, my heart's desire is only to ever to help. I have no selfish ambition. I've got no ambition to get a dollar out of your pocket. I've got no desire to have a following and a cultish following, you know, where all oh, everybody is worshiping me as the pastor. And, uh, and yet, how many people have said the most unkind things to me, even as a pastor? Accuse me of all manner of evil, even as a pastor, you know, uh, of a small church. Just accuse me of the worst things, right? And see, I could, I could allow that to cause me to be bitter and allow that to cause me to, to uh, think, what's the point? You know, why am I doing all this, right? But, you know, I never think that. You know, I never think, you know, Lord, this is it's so hard being a pastor and so hard being a minister. And, you know, I never think that, ever. Even when people uh, treat me unkindly and say things, you know, accuse me of all manner of evil, because that's on them. It's not on me, it's on them. I feel for them, I feel sorry for them that they would think that because if they knew me, if they knew anything about me, like have we ever met, you know, if we've ever met you, 
you would know. I mean, and, and you know, the thing is, uh, uh, in fact, you know, I'm trying to think, I guess the people that have treated me the worst, I've probably done more for them than about anybody else. Just, you know, there's something in your heart. You just know, okay, I've got to help this person. Uh, and, you know, you talk to them more, you call them more, you visit them more, you give them more things, and you're trying to help them, right? Because sometimes the Lord will have you do that. And then they'll still stab you in the back right there, right? Uh, now, my pastor, the way he dealt with that, I've told you that before, is he would get up in the pulpit and say, all of y'all, someday everyone is going to stab me in the back. He would say that from the pulpit. <laughs> uh, and, and isn't that terrible to say that, right? Uh, because how do you know? I mean, uh, I thought the, the 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is, is ever ready to be, believe the best of everybody. All right, so what would be believing the best of everybody? All you love me think I'm the best pastor in the world. That's what love would believe, right? That's what, you know, unless you tell me otherwise, that's what I think. You all think I'm the very best pastor in the whole world, right? I've had a few people tell me otherwise. But that's, you know, until you tell me otherwise, that's what I think that you think about me, right? And, well, what if they stab me in the back? That's on them, right? Uh, and, you know, I remember even years ago, Dr. Dufresne, I love Dr. Dufresne. He was a great minister of God. He died early, you know, went home to be with the Lord when he was 72 years old. Uh, but he said something, and, and I just, I can't reconcile it with the Word of God. Now, I'm not trying to run him down or anything, but, but he said, he said, you can never have friends if you're a pastor. You can never have friends in the ministry. People in your church can never be your friend. Because, you know, they're just going to take advantage of you and then quit going to church and, and, and not be your friend anymore. But I'm thinking, but how close was Jesus to the disciples? I mean, remember, what did John do there at the Last Supper? Remember what he did? He laid his head on the chest of Jesus. I don't like any of you enough to feel comfortable doing that. I mean, you know, I mean, we can, we can know, I mean, we, I've known some of you for decades, right? Uh, I mean, I've known my mother-in-law for, you know, 32 years. I would not be comfortable with that, ever, you know? Sorry, nothing personal, just, you know, and she, she's like, yeah, me either, you know? Just not going to be comfortable with that. But that's pretty close. You've got to be pretty close to somebody to let them do that, right? Pretty close to somebody, right? Uh, and so uh, it didn't seem to be a problem with Jesus. If it wasn't a problem with Jesus, how many, how many kind words did Paul say about some of the people in the ministry that he worked with? My own son. He called Timothy his own son, right? Uh, and so, um, so I just, you know, uh, Dr. Dufresne said that, but, um, you know, from my perspective, I'm thinking, well, well what's the problem? I mean, you can have people in the church be your friend. And if they leave, get another friend. I mean, what's the problem, right? I mean, I'm not going to pine over somebody got mad at me and left. They won't be my friend anymore. I just, I mean, I'll go get another friend, right? Now, that, you know, good friends are, you know, sometimes hard to, to come by because you can have shared interests and desires, you know, and all that stuff. And, you know, it's not that we're trying to be unfriendly or anything like that. I, to me, I'd be friends with anybody, literally be friends with anybody. And it uh, doesn't matter your background or whatever it is. I'll be friends with anybody. But, you know, sometimes you get close to people and what if they leave? Wait till the next person comes along, right? I mean, uh, I'm not going uh, to uh, guard myself because, see, that's just guarding yourself. That's protecting yourself. Because sometimes, in, in fact, I remember one fellow, um, and, and I've said this many times to people over the years, uh, people that, you know, really are struggling with their life and having a hard time just following God. And I've said, look, you need to come to the church. If I'm at church, if you see my car, you come by, you say hi, you sit there and just chit chat for a few minutes every day. If I'm here every day, you come by every day and be my friend. We'll go out to lunch, you know, talk, you know, whatever. No problem. Uh, if that, if, you know, and then we even come. I'm thinking, you know, what's wrong with you? 
uh, you know, when I, when, I, when I went to church with my pastor years ago, when I first got there, I knew that, you know, he wasn't a big fan of educated people. I'm Mr. Educated Person, right? I mean, I'm working on my master's degree in engineering, and, you know, I'm the, uh, I love academics, love school, you know, everything about school, you know. Uh, and uh, he hated school, everything about school. He hated school. He, he dropped out two months before he graduated high school. I said, wow, that's so dumb. Why would you do that? Just hold your breath for two months and graduate, right? He had to come back and spend a whole another year in school because he knew he couldn't pass a GED. So he had to, he had to repeat all of his senior year only because he knew he couldn't take a test and pass it. So, uh, so we were as exact opposites as we, as we could be. But I, I said in my heart, Lord, you called me to this church. You told me. In fact, the thing he told me, he said, you go to that church. The pastor's got things that you've got to learn. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, then if I've got to learn, then I've got to get close to this man. I've got to find out everything about him. And I made it a, a, a point in my life that I'm going to be his friend. And so when I was in master's uh, uh, school in, in, in engineering, you know, you got, uh, uh, it was pretty easy, right? I don't want to say that and, and ruin it for everybody else, but uh, it wasn't all that. It wasn't nearly as hard as my undergraduate program, but I'd have a lot of time. So I'd go by the church in the middle of the day. Hey, we all doing it. Well, we're thinking about going fishing. You want to go? Oh, yeah. I'd skip a class, you know, go fishing with a pastor. I mean, who wouldn't go fishing with a pastor, right? You go fishing because you, you, you ask him questions then. Well, you know, pastor, tell me about this. Tell me about that. And he'd ask me questions about, well, how's the earth spin around the, uh, the sun, right? And I'd tell him how the earth spin around the sun. And, I, and so I thought, well, he's asking me questions. I'm going to ask him questions. You know, well, look, pastor, why, you know, how's the spirit of God do this? And how do you know about that? And, you know, I mean, I'd just, you know, wear him out with questions and uh, and and, uh, and we got to be close friends, you know. It got to be, un, you know, unfortunately later on in the years it got to be complicated. But for many years we were very close friends. Uh, and, and so, so you know, the uh, uh, Doctor Dufresne's uh, counsel, though, see, I couldn't reconcile it with the Word of God because his he was concerned you're going to suffer. Someone's going to leave you, get mad at you, stab you in the back, not be your friend. And you're going to suffer. So therefore, avoid being close to anybody so you don't suffer. That is the wrong counsel. The right counsel is just do what you're supposed to do and commit yourself unto him who judges righteously. Right? Uh, he will take care of you. Uh, and if you believe that you need to be close to somebody, that you need to disciple them, right? Because sometimes you're close to somebody so you can disciple them, right? Uh, and, and maybe you can help them, maybe you can't. You know, there's certain people that I keep, you know... Uh, uh, that I keep getting around and my, my goal in life is to help at least one of these kinds of people. I've been completely unsuccessful, you know, in, in uh, certain people that just have struggled in their life, you know, not in church. And, you know, they, they, they kind of know God a little bit, but, you know, they're not in church anywhere. And, and, and um, you know, they lie, cheat and steal all they can. And oh, Lord, I got I, I to help one of these people, just one of them. And, I, and I've befriended many of them over the years. Every one of them walk away. Am I going to stop trying to disciple people? Am I going to tr- stop helping people? Well, Lord, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't help. You know, none of it's helped at all. I'm not, I'm not getting rewarded for my results. I'm getting rewarded for my faithfulness, right? You remember the, the man that had the five talents was rewarded just as much as the man with ten talents, right? Uh, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He's not measuring your results. He's measuring your obedience, right? He's measuring your faithfulness. Uh, and so uh, he said, uh, commit yourself to him that judges righteously. So I'm just not, I'm not afraid to do the will of God. I'm not afraid uh, of whatever the ramifications 
will be from me doing the will of God. And that that's, is one thing that Dr. Dufresne said that I, I really loved one of his uh, great statements. He said, always do the will of God and leave the consequences of following him with him. So because sometimes you do the will of God and people get upset. Now, you've got you've to make sure that you really are in the will of God. Well, I just told them like I saw it, you know, and they got mad, you know. Yeah, but you were a jerk about the way you said it, right? You were unkind the way you said it. You were mean-spirited the way you said it. So that's not God. Um, but there are plenty of times you can say, hey, um, you guys might want to think twice about that. And then they explode, you know. All I said was, hey, you might want to think twice about what you did, right? Uh, and I remember one time uh, I was talking with somebody and, and, um, and, and to be honest, it, it was actually with my pastor. Um, and, um, and I don't think I've ever told this particular story, but uh, so this is years after a lot of this, this drama was going on, right? So before that, we were great, but there's many years of drama with him. And so we were at lunch one time and him and, and kind of his, 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 the guy that was there that really stirred up a lot of things, right? It was really the, the focal point of a lot of all the evil that was going on in the church, right? Uh, and that's another whole discussion there. But well, we were at lunch and, and he said, you know, he said, why don't you do what I say? And I, and I just looked at him and, and with just as calmly as I could say that, I said, well, Pastor, I don't trust you. Because his motivation had stopped being to help me. His motivation had changed to try to control me. Because it was about you, you have to obey without question, which is not a New Testament theory, right? It's not a New Testament practice. We obey what other people tell us to do as long as it lines up with the Word of God. If it doesn't line up with either the Word of God or the Spirit of God, I ain't doing it. I don't care if you're the president of Grand Poobah or whatever. I ain't doing it. You know, I mean, they talk about all these government regulations. You know, fine. I'll obey them all until they cross the line. They come into my church and say, you've got to marry, you know, same-sex couples. I'm not doing it. Well, you're going to go to jail. As long as I can get a Bible, I'm good. You don't give me a Bible, I'll just pray on tongues all day long. You know, I don't care. You know, and then they're not going to do that. I can't imagine the scenario where they would do that. But, you know, there were some hints that they were going to do things like that. You know, if it's a public, uh, if, it, if it's a public building, which a church is a public building, right? Anybody can come in that door. Anybody can leave that door. We don't have membership dues or anything like that, secret handshakes or anything. So if anybody can walk in that door, then you have to have a public uh, accommodation. No, sorry, not going to happen, right? Um, and, and I won't even lose a wink of sleep over it, right? I mean, my wife come visit me every day, you know, if, if that, you know. You know, maybe she can sneak a, a fingernail file in, in there. You know, I could probably pick a lock, you know, with a fingernail file. I've done it at least once in my life. Uh, and so, yeah, just recently. And so, uh, so, you know, I looked at my pastor. I said, well, you know, I, I can't trust you. And then they exploded. Him and the other fellow just got mad. Just, well, you know, I can't believe you said that. And, but the thing is, what's amazing is they never said why. They never asked me why. Why can't you trust me? Because if you said that you can't trust me, I would say, you know, tell me why I can't trust you. Tell me, why, tell me why you can't trust me, right? Is it something I said or something I did? Because trust is an earned thing, right? It's not an, it's not an automatic thing, right? It's not, it's not something that I inherently trust everybody. I trust people either A, they are trustworthy by, their, by my experience with them, or B, the Lord tells me to trust them, right? Now, sometimes the Lord says, hey, you can trust them. Great, no problem, right? But otherwise, it's wait and see. Well, do you trust them? I don't know them yet. Well, you know, you should trust him. I don't know him yet. How would I trust him? How would I know? I don't know unless the Lord tells me to trust him, right? But they never, I thought it was an odd thing. They never asked me why. Now they fussed at me, called me all kinds of names, you know, you know read me the riot act there at lunchtime at, at, at O'Charlie's there in Putnam County. 
And I'm thinking, you're all missing the whole point here. I'm supposed to trust my pastor. The Bible says obey, which means to trust and have confidence in, right? Uh, but uh, to, it means to trust, to rely upon, and have confidence in. And it, so you're supposed to obey your pastor. But again, if your pastor is not telling you to do the word of God, you're not under no obligation to trust him or believe him or do anything he says, right? Now, most of the time, you know, it was only a few times in, in the, that I was there that I didn't do that. But still, uh, I thought it was odd. So, you know, I, he asked me a question. I told him the answer. He got mad at me. Uh, and, and now I was kind about it. I, was, I wasn't, well, you're, you know, I don't trust someone like you. I, just, I never talked with a tone like that to my pastor. That would be disrespectful. I always respected his office. Always spoke to him with honor. Always spoke to him as if, as if you know, my very life depended on it in the sense that I've got to answer the Lord Jesus for this. I never disrespected him, ever. In all the times he did those things to me, publicly, privately, never disrespected his office. Not one time. Uh, and, and so, you know, my wife was there for much of the, the uh, uh, tongue lashing and other lashings, you know. Uh, and did I ever stand up and, and dis, uh, dishonor the pastor by my words or actions, you know? Storm out the church, you know. I remember one time I was at church and, and uh, it was before service and there was one fellow there. He left the church, come back, you know, left the church, come back, left the church, come back. And, and uh, you know, he, he thought himself to be a minister. And so uh, uh, he was talking to the pastor and I just happened to overhear part of the conversation. And he said, you've always treated me like a bastard. That's the words he used. And with a tone like that, you've always treated me like a and that, was, and that was when things were still good with my pastor. And I nearly, you know, got in the flesh and just drug him out of the church, you know, because how dare you talk to him like that? And besides, it wasn't even true because my pastor had paid for all kinds of stuff for him, given him all kinds of things, gave him opportunities to preach and minister at his church. You know, he's not required to do that, but he did. He gave him all those opportunities to do that. Treated him really way better than he should have because he was a terrible minister. He, you know, every time he's like, oh, you're preaching again, you know. We never said anything like that, but I mean, it's like, wow, you know, I mean, you know, not mad at anybody, but he wasn't really a good minister at all. And in fact, I don't know where he's at right now, uh, but um, uh, it's the same fella. We went on a on a um, uh, on a mission trip to Mexico. So there's like a bunch of us piled in this this 15 passenger van. Uh, and uh, so we're heading to Mexico. We're driving from Tennessee to Mexico. You know how long it takes to drive to Mexico from from Tennessee? It's like on the other side of the earth. I mean, you'd think it's just right below us, but no, it's like 8,000 hours to get there. It seems like, you know, we're driving to, to Mexico. And even when we got to Mexico, we're, we're going halfway down Mexico, right, towards Mexico City. It's about halfway down. I think Mexico City is pretty far down. This is about halfway down Mexico. So we were a long ways away. We're probably, uh, I mean, I don't know how long we were, a long ways away. Uh, and so the very first stop, we stopped at a, at a restaurant, right, one of these uh, chain restaurants. And they had a thousand-page menu. You ever seen a restaurant? Got you know? I mean, wow, they can fix anything, right? And so you got to pick. Well, that's a lot of a lot of pressure to pick, right? You got to pick one out of these thousand things. And you know, so I was just like, well, just give me one of those, you know. Well, he's over there just mad, just mad. Now it's first day, first stop, not the first, not the first week. This is the first stop on the way to to be a minister in a foreign country to help these people, right? And the very first, and he's so mad. Where's the meat and potatoes? I just want meat and potatoes. Where's the meat and potatoes on this restaurant, on this menu? I'm thinking, it's just food, right? And he was so mad. I'm thinking, are you, are you really mad because of a menu? A, a menu has gotten you in the flesh at that point that you're mad at this menu? I'm thinking, yeah, that's the same fellow who then accused my pastor years later that he was treating him. That, no, my pastor paid for his whole trip. He didn't have to come up with any money for this mission trip. Paid for his whole way there. Right. Bottom food, every, uh, the whole thing. Right. He never thanked him for any of that stuff. 
you treated me like a bastard, you know. Uh, and, you know, some people will do that. Say the most unkind, untrue thing to you to try to hurt your feelings. Uh, uh, and, and so was my pastor out of the will of God to try to help him? No. Help, you know, helped him all the time. I know one minister uh, uh, went to Bible school, you know, out of state. My pastor paid for him to move out there, paid all of his tuition, paid for him to move back. And then he, he quit the church within a month or two after being back, you know, and, uh, and never had anything good to say about my pastor after that. Um, did my pastor quit helping people? Sometimes he did, you know, because he got bitter about some things. And, and I think that was, you know, the, I mean, there were so many good things I learned from my pastor. You know, I never want you to think that I was unthankful because, you know, I wouldn't be half the person I am as far as knowing things about the Lord that I do if it wasn't for my pastor. But there were some things I had to learn to not do. And he, he had a tendency to get bitter when people were unkind to him and become suspicious about everybody who walked into church. Because he accused me many times from the pulpit. He would say these words, Chip Bolio is trying to take over this ministry. Like a coup, right? Uh, and uh, you all know me. Well, would I ever do anything like that? I, I, you know, and it's not because I don't desire to be in leadership. I, I fear God. I can't imagine how much fear I would be in to try to establish a coup against the leadership that God had put there. Even if you disagree with the leadership, well, then just leave, right? I mean, if, if, if it got, uh, just leave. Uh, why would you, how many people try to take over churches? What's amazing to me is, why, why would you go to a church and then try to take over the church? Just leave. If you don't like how it's run, just go somewhere else, right? Why do you got to ruin it for everybody else? Just go somewhere else. It's like the same thing. Why, why are you an American if you hate America? Just go somewhere else. There's a lot like there's 200 countries in the world. You know, surely you can find one out of 200 that you like better than here. If you don't like it here, go somewhere else, right? Uh, same thing with the church. Just go somewhere else. But, you know, if, if everybody left, I'd be fine. Because if the Lord called me here, I'm called here. It doesn't matter, right? Uh, and so, so I'm not going to stop helping people because people respond in a negative way to me. You know, I've helped lots of people financially come in here. Not a single one's ever come to church. Not a single one. Uh, and, and so, so am I going to stop helping people? No. If the Lord says help them. I help them. Well, why? Because obedience is what's necessary, not the helping of the people. Obedience is what's the most important thing, right? So, um, so all of that, you know, for Peter to say that the very last phrase of that, I think, is so important. Uh, commit yourself to him that judges righteously. Commit yourself to the Lord. No matter what the cost of your obedience, you commit yourself to him. Lord, whatever it costs, I'm going to do what you want me to do. No matter what people think of me. You know, because we're a faith church here, we're speaking in tongues church. You know, a lot of people just like, you know, oh, you're one of those. You know, I'm thinking you should be too, right? You know, you know, I don't really say that, but you, you know, you ought to be a person of faith, right? Uh, now, I don't really say that, but I do think that, right? But how many people think poorly of us because we believe in, in, in divine healing without exception, Right? I mean, even some of our Pentecostal friends don't not a big fan of that that uh, doctrine, even though it's 100 percent the word of God. Right. Well, you know, you just, you know, you, uh, you know, the one, one fellow that was a uh, he's been gone for many years now, but he was a, a great leader in the in the Pentecostal church. You know, he ran a a Bible school in England for many years and was well thought of in the circles of the Pentecostal world and was a great leader in the Pentecostal world. And, and really other, his other writings are exceptional, but he did write. One thing that says, you know, you people who believe in healing, your fanatical belief in healing needs to be adjusted. 
because uh, he, he, he believes if, if you believe in divine healing without exception that, that you're a fanatic. Well, that's kind of unkind to say, right? Because that, see, that gives me no room to be different than you. Uh, that means that you, you have decided that you're right, but you've got no Bible for your precedents, right? Because you, all, all you say is sometimes people are sick and we don't know why. Therefore, God wants people to be sick. That was his whole foundation of that doctrine. Whereas, whereas my foundation of God always wants to heal is God is a good God. Uh, Lord, will you heal me? I will be thou well. Uh, every single time anybody came to him, you know, they got healed. I mean, I can go on and on. I am the Lord who healed thee, right? I've got actual scripture for why I believe what I believe. And, and, uh, and, but I don't, well, he's just an idiot. You know, I can't believe he said something like that. He's so wrong, you know. Well, he's wrong in that one area, but the rest of his doctrine was sound and, and he was a good fellow, you know, so. So, um, Commit yourself to the Lord. If, if you can do that right there, that will keep you on the path of always being obedient. Uh, you'll never uh, decide it's not worth the cost and then become a disobedient Christian. If the Lord tells you to do something, uh, yes, Lord, I'll do that. Uh, and, and, you know, I'll tell you um, just one of the quick story about that. You know, when I was, I was driving in um, Canada, actually, on the, the Highway 401 there, that, you know, that, that, uh, that highway that goes along the, the border there between Canada and the U.S. on the Canadian side. And uh, the Lord started speaking to me. Now, you know, you can judge this however you want to. It's fine, right? Because I've heard people say the Lord would never tell somebody like that to do that. I mean, you know, you, what, whatever you want to say is fine, you know, but I know what the Lord said. He said, uh, when you get back, I want you to go talk to the pastor and tell him that the root cause of all the problems in the ministry or because he won't trust people. Now, when he said that, I knew that to be true because he wouldn't trust me and I wasn't a trustworthy person. I never lied, choked, cheated, or st- st- stole anything. But he wouldn't trust me because my Bubba factor was pretty low, right? I mean, some people got a pretty high Bubba factor. Some people got a low Bubba factor. I got a pretty low Bubba factor, right? I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a high Bubba factor. I'm just, just you know, people are different, right? I'm perfectly fine with having a high Bubba factor, right? Uh, and I just mean by that by people that, you know, generally speaking, are not educated and whatever, you know. And again, I think we all have a part to play, right? Education is not a measure of your value as a human being. Amen. Some people don't need to be educated uh, because they have, uh, I mean, everybody's educated. There's some people are educated from a book. Some people are educated from life, right? I mean, people like Johnny are more of an engineer than I ever was, right? Uh, I mean, he can engineer anything and he doesn't have a degree on the end of his name. Uh, but I'd, I'd go to Johnny. I've asked him many times, well, how to fix something, right? Uh, and so, uh, you know, education got nothing to do with nothing. But anyway, so, uh, but he would, he would, he would only trust people that would tell him yes. And that's, a, that's a very poor measurement of whether somebody could be trusted or not. If they always say yes to you, they should always say what they should say. That's, that's somebody you can trust. See, that's somebody I could trust who always tell me what they, what they really believe. Even if I disagree with them, I could trust them to be honest, Right. But if they say, yes, you should do that, but they don't believe I should do that, then they're really being dishonest. So I can't trust somebody like that. That's me personally, right? Uh, I expect when I ask somebody a question, I want their honest opinion. I don't want them to tell me what I think they want me to hear. I already know what I want to hear. I want to know what you have to say. So he just wouldn't trust people that, that would tell him anything other than what he wanted to hear. And that was the, the root of, of the issue, right? And the problem is you can't build anything with surrounding yourself with people that only tell you what you want to hear. You can never be successful in any endeavor in life if that's all you want to hear is what you want to hear. Uh, and, and I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm not doing that. 
Because anytime I ever tried to help the pastor and tell him things that, you know, uh, one time, you know, I told you, he said that he would always say, uh, everybody who comes into ministry will stab me in the back. And he did that for like several Sundays in a row. Everyone who comes into ministry is going to stab me in the back. And finally, I just, you know, I, I set up a meeting with him in his office. And I said, Pastor, why do you say that? I said, it's not biblical. It's not, you know, what the word says. Well, they're all going to stab me in the back. I said, I've never desired to stab you in the back. Not a single time. And I never will. And I never did. Uh, and and uh, he said, well, you know, it's just my anointing. You know, your anointing is not going to cause you to violate the word of God, right? Uh, uh, and so uh, uh, and, and so he kind of fussed at me and I just kind of hung my head and said, well, it's still wrong. And I just kind of let it go at that. Years later, I mean, probably 10 years later, uh, there was more drama going on with him. Uh, and uh, he said, you said you'd never stab me back, and you did. And he just made it up. I didn't stab him back. You know, I mean, we don't have time to go into all the details about that. But he held that as bitterness in his heart for 10 years. To remember, I said that thing in his office that you ought not accuse everybody of stabbing you back. Uh, and then he, he's trying to hold it over my head, but he still, I was not guilty, so you know, I, didn't, I wasn't concerned about it. Uh, but Lord, 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 you remember all the times I've tried to talk to him and the grief that it's gotten me? Now, I, would, I never rebuked my pastor, not a single time. I would just ask him questions and ask him why he was doing something. And there's nothing wrong with asking questions and, and why people are doing things. I would never say, you're wrong, you know. Uh, and, I mean, you know, what the word says is what the word says, right? And I, I wouldn't rebuke him, you know, and publicly. I sure never did anything publicly with him, but sometimes I would meet in his office and ask him questions. And um, I said, Lord, I don't want to do that. And, you know, it's hard to explain, but the presence of God was so strong uh, in, in that car I was driving. I had to had to pull over, had to pull the car over because I couldn't I couldn't uh, uh, I couldn't drive and be in the presence of, of the Lord that that strong and see. I couldn't you know, I couldn't uh, I couldn't drive the vehicle. And so I pulled over and, and we continued our conversation. I said, Lord, I don't want to I don't want to do that. Uh, and, and he said, you go down when you get back, you go and tell him that all the problems in the ministry are, are because he won't trust anybody. Uh, and, um, and, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't let it go. Uh, and finally I said, okay, Lord, I said, here, here's, here's what I'll do. I said, if, if you will work the conversation around to that topic, I said, I'll, I'll tell him what you asked me to tell him. Because if I just walk in his office and say, pastor, you won't trust anybody. That's all the problems of this ministry. I mean, you know, I'd had to duck, right? You know, he did have a black belt in karate, right? Uh, and besides, I would never do that anyway because that would, that would be essentially usurping authority. And, I, you know, I wasn't the authority in that ministry. But, you know, I was his friend and, uh, uh, and um, I loved him. You know, I still love him. Wish he was here. Uh, and so, uh, but it was years later. But it finally happened. You know, he asked me a question about that. And I said, well, pastor, I said, I said the problem is that you won't trust anybody. Uh, and I said, You've always known me. I've said, you could have always trusted me. I said, but you wouldn't trust me. You, you got mad at me. You accused me of all, thing, all manners of evil. But um, you know I've always been trustworthy. I've always done what the Word says and what the Spirit says. And I've always been obedient where I can. And I said, you've known me for years. Because uh, he was saying, no, but I can't trust anybody. I said, that's not true. I said, you could trust me. Now, we were having a frank conversation. I wasn't rude to him, unkind to him, disobedient to him, dishonor him at all. I didn't use any authority over him. I said, you know, and I didn't even tell him, thus saith the Lord. I just said, you know, you said uh, you can't trust anybody. That's not true. 
Um, I said, all these problems that you've been dealing with all these years are because you wouldn't trust. And I named, you know, not just me. I said, you could have trusted me. You could have trusted this person. You could have trusted that person. I said, but you wouldn't trust any of them. You trust all this group over here who only told you what you wanted to hear, which was true. All those things were true. And, uh, and they were the root of all the problems in the church. Uh, and, and uh, you know, he ended up dying early, of course. But, um, but see, see, I had to learn that. I had to learn that it was more important to do what the Lord says than to, than to suffer the consequences. Now, in that case, that was one of the rare cases where I didn't suffer any consequences for doing that or saying that. Um, and so, um, because I've committed myself to the Lord. Amen. Uh, and so, um, uh, if we can do that, see, our spiritual life will increase. Your spiritual walk with the Lord will increase. Your knowledge of who the Lord is will increase. You will become a more mature Christian. But if you avoid all suffering, uh, and the only way you can avoid all suffering is to be a disobedient person, right? Uh, then um, you will stay as a, as a baby Christian all your life, right? You, you will never do what it takes to, to become the person who is easy to be used of the Lord, right? Uh, and now that doesn't mean you're a terrible person. It doesn't mean that, you know, God's going to strike you dead or anything like that. You know, the consequences of that are between you and the Lord. I don't know what the consequences will be. I know disobedience is not a good thing, right? Uh, remember what uh, uh, Samuel told, uh, told uh, Saul, the king, uh, that um, obedience is to obey is what? Better than sacrifice, right? Uh, and so, uh, so, so that, that part of the, that verse there, uh, commit yourself to him that judges righteously. Do that, all is well, right? Uh, I, I always commit myself to the Lord, uh, before I do anything, especially if I know there's going to be consequences, negative consequences, maybe to obeying him. Lord, I, I commit myself to you. I'm going to do this. As far as I know in my heart, this is the right thing to do. And even if I'm wrong, you know, it's because if I'm wrong, but I'm sincere about it, you know, th there'll be at least mercy there. Right. Uh, but um, and I can't tell you uh, how often anytime I would go talk to the pastor, it would be weeks. But when I decided to go talk to him, I would spend weeks in prayer before I would go talk to him. Because I want to make sure my heart was right and that I didn't go say something out of my flesh and carnality and my emotions. And so, um, so uh, you will suffer, but you will suffer by our example of the Lord Jesus. And so look at his life and how he suffered. And, and that's the only suffering that you're ever going to have to do as a Christian. Amen. Uh, and so uh, we've got maybe one or two little things more that we want to talk about that. Uh, and then we're going to get uh, fully into um, the book of Philippians. Amen. And so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. And, Father, we thank you for the blessing that all, of, all, all blessings of the Lord are on the backside of obedience. Uh, and so, Father, as we obey, all, all your blessings will come into our lives. Uh, you'll never hold anything back from your obedient children. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? He's good. Amen. Uh, do I sound bitter and angry because of things that I've suffered? You know, and that's that's when you can tell that you're suffering uh, as someone who commits himself to the Lord, as someone who judges righteously. Right. Uh, because I'm not bitter about the things I've learned. I mean, it's uh, uh, it's valuable. Amen. Well, come ahead, Mr. Jared, and receive uh, uh, this evening's offering. I mean, if I could put up with that over those years, everybody's an amateur after that. Right. People come and say things unkind to me. I'm like, what an amateur, you know. I mean, that, you're really not very good at this uh, insulting game. Go back when you're a little better about it, right? 
Uh, so come in, Mr. Jared, and people say things that are unkind to me. I'm thinking, but you're an amateur, right? I was flogged, flo- uh, flogged publicly by my pastor many times. What could you possibly do to me, right? Uh, and not that, you know, I'm sure not going to help you all suffer by flogging you publicly. You know, that will never happen in this ministry. But, um, you know, uh, and I think that's one, one other minor thing about that. And we'll go is, you know, because I suffered in a lot of those things, I saw a lot of things not to do in church. We will never do that stuff here because it's easy to get that way. You know, when you think, well, I'm in charge, you know, I'm the grand poobah. You all shut up and do what you're told. That will never happen around here because I learned that that was an error, right? That was an error that people get into easily in churches, right? Especially when when the spirit of God is strong in a church, it's easy to think that I'm somebody. Well, I want the spirit of God to be very strong in this ministry, but I will never think of myself more highly than I ought to think because I saw the consequences of that and it's not good, right? Uh, and so, uh, so that's to your advantage, right? You're, you, know, you get to benefit from my suffering. So thank God, go home. Lord, I think he suffered, right? <laughs> uh, but anyway, praise God. Y'all be blessed. Uh, uh, have a wonderful week, Lord. We'll see you on Sunday.